Just after 3 o'clock. Welcome back. Jason Greger showing Sports 1440 live on Oilers Nation. YouTube is always presented by our title sponsor, PlayAlberta.ca, where uh, you can get in the uh, game. And, hey, you're interested in some prop bets. Just so you know, Connor McDavid, in his history, in his NHL career, has never gone four games without a point. Currently, for the fifth time in his career, he's gone three games without a point. He will look to avoid uh, the fourth for the first time. If uh, well, You might not want to believe me. Obviously, uh, recent wagers, history, not great. But this is one where the, there's a lot of games to look at. So you, you've got a pretty big sample size if you believe in sample sizes. Right? Connor McDavid has played 580 NHL games, 49 playoff games. Has never gone four consecutive games without a point. It's a pretty big number. We uh, we shall see what happens tonight. The uh, the orders are hoping nothing more than um, McDavid would get going offensively. How about the fact he's a hundred and thirtieth in NHL scoring right now? Like that is the stat, man. Like when we talk about stats in the league, like come on, people say, oh yeah, it's early. Yeah, it's early, but it's still. 130th in the NHL. He's sixth on the orders because if you go by point totals, remember the goals count more. So guy like Bouchard and him each have 10 points, but Bouchard has more points. Or sorry, more goals. So in a scoring race, he would be ahead. So technically McDavid's sixth on the orders right now. It's a bizarro world. Right? There's, there's lots of... Thing. And so, you know what? Maybe just a coaching change is because I'm sorry. I don't, I don't buy into the injury stuff. I, I know that it's easier to tell yourself McDavid's hurt than McDavid's struggling. Right? It's easier. So I understand why people gravitate towards, oh, hey, I can convince myself, hey, McDavid, yeah, he's not playing great, but he's injured. Yeah, he's injured. Okay. Yeah. No, no. What is he struggling? No, 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 no. We don't want to look at that. And I get it. I totally understand it. And I'm not saying McDavid's 100% healthy. Very few guys in the league are. But he's playing 22 minutes a night. And his injury, everybody saw him leave the ice, like a back hip kind of thing. His skating's fine. The thing that seems to be a little off with him right now is his hands, his passing. Right, He's not shooting as much as he was last year. Right. And remember, like we've dry settle played banged up on one leg and averaged two points a game in the playoffs. Like these guys are highly skilled players. McDavid can simply flat out play better. And I love, and McDavid's the first one to admit it. Why do you think he was out on the ice in practice on the road working with Dylan Holloway? His exact answer was, I got to work my way out of this funk. That's why he's one of the best players in the world. He doesn't look for excuses. And he real there's no easy fix. Even the best player in the world can have a battle with a lack of confidence at times. And that's what it looks like. Like they just a little bit off. And that could change with all of a sudden one goal. Even an assist at this point would be good. But you just he's a little off. Like the order's entire offense is a little bit off. He is. Look at Drysaddle. How many one-timers have we seen Drysaddle fan on 
here in the last week. The old adage, squeezing the stick too tight, seems to be some truth to it. Right? It's it's not great for your two best offensive players. Like, the good news for the orders is, you know what, Hyman showed up in a big way. That line was very good. I thought Dylan Holloway had an excellent game. Finally got rewarded. Almost had a second goal. So, they, they need more guys going offensively. We've talked a lot about their defense. But I, we probably haven't focused enough on on the lack of offense in Edmonton. And I think it's worthy of discussion. Because I, you don't go from being the number one offensive team in the league and uh, just because Kyler Yamamoto isn't re-signed and Clean cost and left who had 11 goals in 50-some games and Nick Bukestad only played 20 games because those guys are gone that suddenly your offense goes from first to 26th. I don't buy it. Like, I'm sorry, you'll never sell me on that one. There's no chance. They still have a lot of skill in the roster. They're top-end guys. Not all, because if you look, Zach Hyman's production is pretty solid. Right? Like, even Leon Dreisaitl, like, Leon Dreisaitl's 30, you know, he's not awful by his standards even, but it's still a little below, right? He's got 15 and 13 games. He only has two points in his last five games. For those guys, that's low. Right? Now, Hyman... You know, he, he had, what did he have, 83 points last year? Well, right now he's on pace for 82, so pretty good. Nugent Hopkins, we all knew Nugent Hopkins wasn't going to be a 100-point player again. I said that at the start of the year. It wasn't going to happen. It was a great year, awesome, but he can still be a 75- to 80-point player. Well, Kane's had a good year offensively, and McDavid's below his standards. McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins... Bouchard's offense is good. We all know that, uh, you know, a little bit more consistent defensively. And then they're depth guys. Like, Fogel's, his production's fine. I have no issue with his production. You just need a little bit more from some other guys. Starts coming, it'll help out a lot. Their D-men are actually scoring okay amount of goals, but not getting not getting a ton of assists, mainly because the top-end guys aren't scoring. So it's hard for defensemen, who usually have more assists than goals, to get points when your offensive guys aren't scoring. That's just how it goes. So, uh, hey guys, uh, my son was showing me a clip of where Holland said he talked to some of the veterans and right after Jed said they didn't consult any players. What are your thoughts from uh, J-Rock? J-Rock's a good question. So, and I actually talked to some players about this. So, here's, here's Ken Holland said he was talking to players the past week. Not about the firing. He had just talked to the players about what was, go- you know, getting their thoughts, which you should as a GM. Hey, what, what do you think's going wrong? You know, what's wrong with your game? What's right with your game? Those type of conversations. The players I talked to, and I didn't talk to all of them, none said any of the conversation was about the coach, which I don't think it would be. And so then Jeff Jackson followed up. He said, yeah, we didn't consult it because he was asked directly, you know, what uh, were players consulted with this? He's like, no. Having talked to many players in the NHL, guys who are leaders over the years and stuff, and I've reached out to a few of them of who are on teams, who are captains of teams when their coach got fired. And I said, were you ever consulted, even asked about it? He goes, no, never. I've never heard of someone asking a player, hey, uh, do you think we should fire the coach? Like, that's a terrible situation to put someone in. So, yes, Ken Hall- what Ken Holland said was true and what Jeff Jackson said was true. But they weren't connected because Jeff Jackson was talking about the firing Ken Holland was talking about him speaking with veterans about what's going wrong. 
Does that make any sense? I think it does. And, and I think it's, it's valid. I know people are trying to say that they're not on the same page and stuff and, and, and that's okay. Um, but I went back and I listened to the whole thing again. And Ken Holland was talking about what was going wrong. And then Jeff Jackson was asked directly about the firing. And so I wouldn't think, and you know, Connor McDavid today, you know, unless all of a sudden like he's getting sick acting lessons, I don't believe he's lying at all. That, you know, he woke up because got to remember, look at the timeline. So the orders flew uh, and Ken Holland admitted that the decision was made that they were firing uh, their coach before the Seattle game. But because of the, you know, the coaching in Hartford on Saturday night, well, the orders were playing in Seattle, right? You, you weren't going to fire Jay Woodcroft before the game, have Gullitson be the interim coach. You just weren't going to do it. So you wait. Because it kind of shows you at times, like, coaching matters, but I think sometimes we overrate how much coaching matters. The players still ultimately control the outcome of the game majority of the time. And so, that you know, they made the decision internally that they were going to let uh, Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson go. Then they fly back from Seattle. They don't tell anybody. They landed at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. Players get in their vehicles. They go home. Coach go home. The next morning, they have a meeting with the coach. And the, and the players have the day off, so none of them are setting their alarm. They're sleeping in. Right? The the news came out at what, 9.30-ish? Right? Now, you might have sent a text message to your captain prior to it going public. That I could see saying, hey, uh, you know what? We've, we've made a decision to fire the head coach. Just want you to let you know. That I could see happening. Right? That would actually make sense to me. That's I'd probably do that as a GM. Just so, hey, I don't want you to hear from someone else. This is what's going to happen. It's going to be coming out. Okay, right? You send out the text a few minutes before the press release. And then the uh, the players, so if you get if you arrive at home at 2, by the time you're home in bed, it's 3. There probably none of them are up before 10 o'clock, right? So so that's kind of how I see um, that one. Hey, guys, why is no one talking about coffee taking out his least favorite orders coach? What are you talking about? Dave Manson was his least favorite Oilers coach. Freezer bag, fill me in on what your uh, what 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 conspiracy theory are we on now? Because I'm not, so I don't get it. Hey guys, do you not think McDavid looks slow? Despite his hands amount of time, he's bobbling pucks and fanning on shots. He can't seem to catch guys. He isn't quick enough. Dumping in pucks versus carrying in very noticeable against the Sharks. From Craig, I I haven't really seen McDavid. Um, Look slower to me. Like I'd literally probably have to, you know, now I know they have the data that times how fast they be. And I guess we could look at that to probably have more of a, of an accurate one. Because if, if he's going 21 miles an hour, but now he's only 20, I don't feel my eye is trained accurately enough to know the difference. But they do have the data. So I could look it up and, and see if it's there. Maybe. Again, even if McDavid isn't 100%, that's fine. McDavid at 90% is still better than the vast majority of the league. He's 130th in scoring. Point blank. And if he's frustrated, which I think at times he is, of course he is. He's not used to be, you know, being a guy who has one point in five games. <laughs> right? Like, God, I'd have to go back and, and probably never in junior. Definitely probably not as a kid. Like, so when you're used to it, yeah, that's tough. And I think there's a lot of pressure 
on he puts a lot of pressure on himself to produce, and the key is you don't want to let that pressure get to you. So, hey, Gregor, you believe Holland and Jackson tell us one hundred percent of the truth? No way. No, I don't believe. I never said that. Never once did I say they tell one hundred percent of the truth. But I'm saying I believe without question that they didn't put Connor McDavid in a position to ask him, do you think we should fire the coach? So it wasn't consulted on firing the coach. That I believe 100%. Because you'd be the worst leader in history if you ever did that. Number two, Ken Holland saying he spoke to the players. I agree. Ken Holland's not going to say, hey, do you think I should fire the coach? No chance. You're not doing that. Right. You you get intel. You ask the players, hey, what's going on? What do you think's wrong? Maybe the players like, geez, I don't like the system. Uh, maybe I don't like this. I don't like playing with this guy. We need a goalie. Whatever the conversations are, I'm playing terrible. Right. I'm not going to speculate on what was said, but I never once said they tell 100 percent of the truth. But I also don't believe that they flat out lie. Right. I think Jeff Jackson told the truth that he didn't consult the players before the firing. And then Ken Holland told the truth that he said he spoke to veterans when he was on the road trip. You can speak to people. It doesn't mean the the topic has to be about firing the coach. There's lots of other topics you could talk about. Quick break. We'll return to the Gregor Show. Presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Live from the E-Well studio. For all your electrical needs, go to EWEL.ca. 325. I do want to get to this text. Hey, Gregs, I don't think all country can handle the truth, whatever it is, from Luke. <laughs> Luke, you might be on to something there, man. Um... Yes, uh, some people, uh, hey, sometimes you want to know the truth, but uh, then you prefer not to know uh, the truth, shall we say. Uh, let's get to our uh, big guest of the day today, uh, brought to you by Silent Eyes Sports and Entertainment. Uh, they are, of course, uh, only uh, Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, Spruce Grove Saints, the uh, Junior Prospects Hockey League, Silent Rides, and much, much more. Uh, very unique, locally-owned company. And uh, you know what? They built a new hockey rink. It's going to provide lots more ice time for kids. Fantastic. So uh, check it out at Silent Ice. And uh, our guest today is an author of a new book called Tough Guys. Uh, very excited to uh, to read this book and very excited to have uh, Dale Arnold on the show. Dale, how are you doing? Jason, how are you? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just uh, fine, my man. Okay. Good. All right. Oh, we're all good. I'm doing great. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm excellent. Uh, I like the. I like the backdrop. Uh, the uh, uh, the Bruins 23. But uh, tough guys. This is. Uh, you know, it's the the tough guys in hockey is is always unique because most people. It's just a fascinating. Um, connection because most people it's something they're like, I never really want to do it. Like I like watching it, but I don't really want to be a part of it. Right? Like they're some of the most beloved characters in the history of the game. I started my career, my broadcasting career in 1979 with the American Hockey League franchise of the Philadelphia Flyers, the Maine Mariners. Yeah. And uh, the Maine Mariners were just like the Philadelphia Flyers in 1979 with guys like Jim Cunningham and, and uh, you know, you, you can go down the list, Jim, uh, you know, Dave Hoyda and Glenn Cochran. And then as the years went on, you added guys like, you know, Daryl Stanley and Dave Brown and Archie Henderson and Mel Hewitt. My career was built around broadcasting games that involved tough guys. I came to really appreciate them, what they did for a living and how they did it. But I also, and you've probably known this yourself, Jason, you've been around these guys. They're among the most humble, down-to-earth people you've ever dealt with, the tough guys in the NHL. And I wanted them to be able to tell their stories, and that was the genesis for this book. 
And uh, you know, obviously, you have a long time connection. Uh, you used to be the uh, the voice of the uh, the of the Bruins. Uh, you know, you're one of the few guys to have uh, called uh, all uh, do play by play for all five of uh, the major sports professional franchises uh, in the Boston area. So you definitely have a connection to it. But this book, when when you sat down to to write about it, kind of give me your uh, give me your thoughts on you know where the idea came from and and how many hours spent uh, in in doing all the research for it. This was over a year. Uh, start to finish, almost a year and a half. Uh, what I wanted to do was was get involved with each of these guys, give them each their own chapter, let them tell their own story. Most of them are guys that I've known through the course of my career, from Terry O'Reilly to Dave Brown to Archie Henderson to PJ Stock to Milan Lucic and going on and on and on. Uh, I actually got near the end of the process. I said, you know what? I want to write about, about a guy that I don't know. Okay. And frankly, I don't, I don't like <laughs> uh, just based on, on watching him, you know, and, and watching what he does for a living. And I got in touch with uh, with Matthew Barnaby. Son of a gun, I ended up liking the guy. <laughs> I mean, he was like all the other tough guys I ever dealt with. You know, and they're, they're funny, they're down to earth, they're fun to talk to. And I gave each guy their own chapter and, and let them tell their own stories. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is interesting. So you get them to tell the stories. And I've met Matthew uh, many times at charitable events. Uh, he, he is a character. Um, you know, he kind is. of what you saw on the ice with Barnaby, right? Uh, you know, uncontrolled at times. That was pretty much how, how he is off the ice, uh, for sure, Dale. So he was one guy you interviewed that you didn't really, um, that you necessarily didn't like going in. I could see why because, um, you know, and I didn't know him. I, yeah. And I didn't know him. For, I freely admit. Yeah. I didn't like him, but I didn't know him yes. until, until we started this process. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, Order fans, uh, they used to hate Steve Ott until he became a regular guest on our show. And then they're like, God, I really like him. He's funny. He's witty and he had great stories and i could see the same for uh for barnaby there there's lots of other guys uh, in the book of course uh the you know you, you went after some guys with some cool nicknames of course the the grim reaper in uh Stu grimson who was who was a story that maybe surprised you that you thought you knew but then as you talk to him you're like wow there's more to this the the last chapter of the book is probably the one that that affected me the most hmm. uh and it's a guy whose nhl career lasted three games that was it. Uh, Bobby Robbins was well known if you if you followed minor league hockey and European hockey. Uh, he, he got the opportunity to be the oldest player, the oldest rookie to make an NHL opening day roster when he got a, a job with the Boston Bruins a few years ago. And he was 32 years old. He got in a fight in his first game, got rocked, got a fight in his second game, got rocked. Knew he was in tough shape, but knew that this was, he was finally fulfilling his dream and kept doing what he did to get there and got rocked. And ultimately, his career came to an end. Uh, he was the most honest of all of the people I've dealt with, and all of these guys are honest. All of them will tell you the truth. Uh, and I don't want to give too much of the book away, but when he actually said to me at one point, I was sitting in my car with the gun in my hand and thinking maybe this was time to end things. And I thought, holy crap. And I actually said to him at the end of the, the process, I said, Bobby, are you sure you want me to write this? And he said, Dale, it's the truth. Write it. And I did. Dale Arnold uh, joins us. The book is uh, Tough Guys, of course. Uh, it's available now in stores, wherever, you know, online, wherever you want to get uh, the book. It's called Tough Guys. Uh, so overall, uh, how each chapter is a different player, correct? Yep. And so how many uh, total? Uh, there are 13 guys. Uh, now, a couple of guys 
John Shannon's not a tough guy, okay? Sure. <laughs> but what I want... But, tough to I look wanted, at, but no, I'm kidding. And well, no, no, that's harsh. <laughs> uh, what I wanted was to hear what the TV side of covering these guys was about. Okay. How did you guys cover bench-clearing brawls? And he tells great stories in there about... They had code words. When a bench-clearing brawl broke out, they'd say whatever it was. Cinnamon, whatever the hell the word was. And guys would know, okay, I'm going to this guy, I'm going to that guy, I've got this bench, I've got that bench. Uh, and I really wanted to talk to him. Uh, Brian Burke was a tough guy, but what I wanted to talk to him about was building a team around tough guys, as he did in Anaheim, that won a cup because he felt his team wasn't, to use his phrase, not mine, truculent enough. Mm -hmm. He needed more of that stuff. And then the other guys were guys who were the tough guys, you know, from Terry O'Reilly to Jay Miller to, well, and I've, I've mentioned several of the other ones, Dave Brown and Archie Henderson. I wanted them to tell me their stories. I opened the first chapter with Terry O'Reilly, and, and I just tell this very quick story where he calls me back and he apologizes for being late and, and returning my call. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry I'm late. I, I was out skating. Now, he's 71 now. At the time, he was 70. I know he's had both knees rebuilt and hips and everything else, and I couldn't help but ask, why? And he said, I wanted to see if I still liked it. <laughs> and I said, did you? And he said, Maybe you better ask me tomorrow and started laughing. But that's the kind of honesty and fun that it is when you talk to these guys. Archie Henderson, who the folks in Calgary know well and, and, uh, and up in that part of Alberta. I mean, you talk to Archie, it's like you're getting a, a lesson of life lecture. You know, he's trying to buck you up and get you ready to go on in life. And he's such a fun guy to talk to. And all of these guys were PJ Stock, who, as I said in the book, his body constantly wrote checks that his, uh, or his, his body wrote checks that his heart couldn't cash. And, you know, he got the crap kicked out of him. Yeah. He knew that he would take seven shots to land two, but he was willing to do that. And he did on a regular basis. And he was just so much fun to, for me to talk to and, and to get his stories as well. So you, you went with guys from lots of different generations for sure. And, yep. you know, like today, like Milan Lucic, of course, is still in the league. The league has definitely changed a lot, even from when he was a rookie and, you know, how often you have to fight and, and different things like that. And so, you know, I think fighting is always going to be part of the game. It's just going to be significantly lower part of the game. We just see that. And it, it's evolved over time naturally. I was, I was always much more of a fan. If they, if they decided, Dale, that the players just decided themselves we're not going to fight as much rather than trying to force it out of the game because it's still there and it can still be a deterrent for some players for sure. Um, was there anybody that you wanted to talk to that you didn't get to for the book? You know, there were guys that I was interested in talking to and I just didn't have connections with. And, uh, you know, then it becomes a question of, you know, how long is this book going to be? And it was 280 pages as it was. Uh, there were some certainly some guys that, you know, who, this was not the 10 toughest guys or 13 toughest guys in the history of the NHL. That wasn't the purpose of this, because I can come up with a whole bunch of other names on the list who would you know, be pretty tough as well. You mentioned Stu Grimson, and you think about a guy like Dave Semenko and Marty McSorley to help Edmonton Oilers fans out. You know, they were as tough as they come, and guys like that. Uh, but, you know, there was a limit to who I could connect with, who I knew, who I had connections to, and who I could get in touch with. And uh, if, if I wrote volume two, trust me, there'd be a bunch more guys, John Scott or, or whoever it might be, you know, Tiger Williams, uh, you know, guys who certainly fit the, the, the role of tough guy, but who I didn't necessarily talk to for this book.
It's interesting, uh, Dale. You, of course, uh, you reside and you, and you did all your broadcasting in the Boston area. And the Bruins, for the longest time, their organization was kind of synonymous. You know, with like they 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 had a tough organization, right? In in different generations at different times, and those players like Sean Thornton. You know, it's funny people outside of Boston. Some of them mocked him. They're like, "Oh, Sean Thornton wasn't important to that team." Yet all the players on the team talked about how important Sean Thornton was. And I see you got his book there, and I read his book, and it was it was fantastic. I, I, I co-wrote the book with Sean yeah. actually. Yeah, and and I you know it was along the lines of the the respect I have for these guys. And for these people and how they go about making a living. Every single guy I talked to, both in Sean's book with him and the guys in Tough Guys, every single guy said, I knew what I was signing up for. I don't regret a minute of it. I would do it again if I had the opportunity. But they also all kind of indicate that they're a little bit concerned about what they did to themselves long term. Uh, when I talked to Chris Nyland for this book, I said, if, if you could take a test that would tell you if you had CTE today, would you take it? Because the only way you can test for CTE now is after you're dead. And he hesitated for a minute and he said, no, I wouldn't do it because there's nothing they can do to cure it. I can't fix it. And I would live the rest of my life wondering, you know, when the final shoe was going to drop. And and he said, I wouldn't do it. Now, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, Nux has come out and said uh, he's going to donate his brain to the the, uh, the study of this and, and what it's done. All of these guys know that they have paid a price uh, for how they made a living. Now, universally, every one of them said, I'd do it again. I'd do it again tomorrow. Even a guy like Bobby Robbins, whose NHL career lasted three games, said, I'd do it again tomorrow if I could. Yeah, and I understand that's kind of what you know. It's what you're comfortable in, and you, you be honest with yourself, and you sign up for it. And and there's lots of guys who fought who don't seem to have any issues, right? Um, yeah. You know, the Strutty, I was my co-host for years on this show. I'd uh, had over 100 fights, and he's like, you know what? Knock on wood. Luckily, I've never, I've never really had an issue. And so it it kind of varies sometimes. You know, we see people that in other sports that don't have fighting that have CTE because of contact and different things. So, um, you know what? Uh, who knows uh, if there's ever going to cure just a game of hockey you could take a lot of hellacious hard hits which are clean and allowed and then yeah. still have issues sean thornton's a guy who you know as he would say knock wood uh you know doesn't seem to be suffering any long-term effects at all in fact he's uh the chief revenue officer for the florida panthers he didn't go into the hockey end of the business he went into the business end of the business and is doing exceptionally well in florida with it extremely intelligent very bright and doesn't have any long-term effects other guys freely admit that you know so, as PJ Stock said to me one time, he said, sometimes I wonder if I can't remember things because I took many shots to the head or can I not remember things just because I'm getting old? <laughs> and sometimes he, he asks his wife that question when they get up in the morning. Yeah, no, that's fair. Now, in Boston folklore, uh, Dale, who would be the toughest Boston Bruin of all time? Terry O'Reilly. Terry, and it's not even a question. Uh, and he's chapter number one in this book. And, you know, the first guy that I had to talk to when I was going to write this. Now, there's a list of very tough guys in Boston Bruins history. Jay Miller is in this book, in, in this book. Chris Nyland, probably better known for his Montreal years, but played for the Bruins. He's in this book. P.J. Stock is in this book. But if you said to me today, pick the guy who's the toughest Bruin who ever played the game, I think I would say, and if you asked most of the players, they would say it was Terry O'Reilly. Even tougher than Big Z? Well, Z is a different category in some <laughs> respects. You know, it's funny you should say that because uh, when I wrote my first book, I was talking to Andrew Ferentz about Zdeno Chara. 
And, and he told me the story. He said, one time we're playing in Ottawa and there's this guy for the Ottawa Senators. And I don't remember who it was. And he's on top of Z. Z is laying flat on his back on the ice. And this guy's trying to, you know, survive. And he said, Dale, I saw Z take his fist like this. And he moved it six inches this far and knocked the guy out. Oof. He, he said, Zdeno Chara could legitimately kill somebody if he wasn't careful when, when he was playing in the game. And he legitimately could. Now, like all the other guys who are in this book, as nice a guy as you've ever met, as gentle a soul as you've ever talked to, but at six foot nine with like a 0% body fat, he's run six marathons in the last five months. That's crazy. His, fir his first marathon was Boston in April. And he said, you know what? I kind of like this. I think I'll run some more. He's run six of them, for God's sakes. He is he's built that way and, and that kind of athlete. But he's a guy who, almost a separate category, but you're, you're not wrong, Jason, that he'd have to be on that list as well. Yeah, he is, uh, he's a huge, well, he's just so big and strong. Like when you're oh. six foot nine, it is a different category that, uh, you know, he'd, yeah. have to, he'd have to be in the true heavyweight. Like Terry O'Reilly, it's like Terry O'Reilly was a big man, but compared to lots of heavyweight guys, like, you know, the 90 heavyweights, when you have Dave Brown and, uh, Bougard, and then you get into those Mac and like guys are six, six, two fifty, and like they trained. It was, it was just a different time, right? Like Bob Probert's, uh, obviously would be one Dave Brown, you know, terrorizing was tough. What about Wensick though? Like where would you rank Wensick and Stan Jonathan? They're, they're in my top five because I don't want to get the crap kicked out of me when I see them next. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you go back through Bruins history. They were the big bad Bruins. Now, Harry Sinden will tell you. They didn't call themselves the Big Bad Bruins. The Philadelphia Flyers named them the Big Bad Bruins, interestingly enough, because the Flyers were the Broad Street Bullies. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you go back through Wensink and, as you mentioned, Stan Jonathan. And, you know, Wayne Cashman was as tough as you'd want to deal with. You go back in the day, and I've mentioned the other guys who, who were in this book as well. The Bruins built their reputation around that kind of player. The Flyers certainly built their reputation around that kind of player as well. It, 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 and because my career started in the Flyers organization, I developed such a respect for who they were as people and what they sacrificed to do their job and how hard it was. What's the old country western song? It's a, it's a hard way to make a good living. Well, it is a real hard way to make a good living to do what they do for a living. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Dale, I look, uh, I look forward to it. I have a copy of it. I have read the first few chapters. I haven't got through all of it, so I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to finishing it. I really uh, I really enjoyed Sean's book, so it was fantastic. So congrats on that. And uh, once again, the Thank book you. is called Tough Guys uh, by Dale Arnold. You can get it at uh, Amazon. You can get it in chapters. You can get it wherever you want to get uh, your books. Perfect time uh, for that hockey lover in your family uh, for upcoming at, uh, at Christmas time if you like books. So, uh, Dale, tell, we tell Terry Ryan, I'm a huge Shorzy fan. Too, oh, by the way. hey, you know what? He, he's filming. He's on location right now today. Ah. Uh, so he's uh, you know, normally he'd be co-hosting with me right now. And, uh, you know, TR was uh, definitely a gamer guy. He was, you know, probably fought out of his weight class more than he should have uh, in his own words. But yeah. uh, definitely was a gamer for sure. But, yeah, he's uh, he's going to hopefully join us here in the uh, in the next hour for a segment. But uh, he's on. I will tell him. And uh, he's quite excited about Hitch's character development in season number three. Well, give him my best because I love the show. Awesome. Thanks, Dale. Appreciate your time. Uh, Jason, thank you. I appreciate it. That is uh, Dale Arnold, host, or not host, a longtime radio host. Of course, I uh, did all the uh, five major sports in, in Boston. One of the only guys to do all five is play-by-play. -play, and uh, now has written a book called Tough Guys. I, I've read the first few chapters. Trust me. I love these type of books. Like, it's very deep. You really, you get a sense, you get to know the player more. And I like any book like that where, you know, we kind of know the, 
the headlines of, of players, but generally know the people behind it. And uh, I, I really like Sean Thornton's book because of that, uh, that he wrote with Dale. And uh, so now this one with Dale, uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, Ryan's rant. We got to Andy Petrillo. We will also hear from uh, Spec and more on the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 Live and Owners Nation YouTube. We'll continue on Monday afternoon. Game day. By the way, early start tonight. 6.42 will be the puck drop tonight. All right. So keep that in mind. A little bit earlier for you tonight. You can uh, tune in. Uh, right, Just stay it on uh, with us because the uh, Orders Nation uh, YouTube can uh, switch right over to their pregame show right after the uh, conclusion of our show. So that'll be good. Lots of texts flying in, 833-401-1440 in our Jiffy Lube inbox. Be wise, winterize today. Book your oil change at jiffylubeservice.ca. Hey, guys, I wonder if the players are thinking too much about the game. They're out of form, not injured. Well, I don't know if they're thinking too much about the game, but when you're in a funk, that's what happens. Right? Like so, Because a lot of people are texting, well, look at McDavid. He's a shadow himself. He's clearly injured. Well, no one says that Drysaddle's injured. What about him? What about Nugent Hopkins? Right? Like, if it's possible for those, and I'm not, I, I probably shouldn't even mention Nugent Hopkins. I don't think he's in the offensive category. But Leon Drysaddle, this guy entering the season had the most goals in the NHL the last five years. And uh, he is missing on one timers that he used to score for fun. So if he's doing it, why can't McDavid? Why does McDavid have to be injured when he's struggling, but Dry Settle is just struggling? Right? I'm not saying McDavid's 100%, but he's not 50%. He's not 80%. If he was that banged up, why would he be taking extra time in battle drills? Not stick handling drills, battle drills after practice. Just ask yourself that. Why would he be doing that? Why would they allow him to do that? So... Banged up, sure. Injured, I think that's you know, a little bit of a stretch. McDavid keeps saying, he goes, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm not 100%, but that's not a, it's not an excuse. He's still playing the most minutes of any forward in the NHL. And so I guess if he is banged up and the organization keeps playing him that much, then they deserve to lose because that's just, that's terrible. And I don't think that's the case. Right? You, lots of guys play banged up. There's a difference between banged up and injured. So, let's see. Hey, Gregs, it's time to leave the negativity of the orders behind for the week. It's great cup week, and I'm pumped. Hope to see you in Hamilton <laughs> from Daryl. Daryl dresses up as the gray cup every year. Like, I'm no joke. Like he paints his face gray, Connor, everything. It's unbelievable dedication to the cause. Uh, I've seen him at the uh, Spirit of Edmonton numerous times and around town. It's loads of fun. So, uh, Daryl, have a great time in, in uh, Hamilton, man. Un- like, I love Grey Cup Week. It's so fun. Um, we're, uh, uh, my team that I coach is in, in a hockey tournament this weekend. So, uh, we're, I was unable to go, 
But still, like the great cut, if you, I always tell this to everybody, like, uh, when it was in Edmonton the last time, uh, in my neighborhood, there was five couples and none of them had ever even been to the spirit of Edmonton. They'd never been to the great cup. And I was like, pardon. So I made sure I said, no, 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 we're going to go like all out to festivities. We went to the spirit of Edmonton room, right. Uh, for breakfast, uh, and spent the whole day just doing different great cup things. And they were just like, and then like, a lot, well, I was like, are you kidding me? This is unreal. So. Uh, you know, we, we got one planned. Uh, hopefully we're going to be going again next year because I'll tell you, if you've never been like the Grey Cup game is one thing, but the spirit of Edmonton room, right? You want to go to touchdown Saskatchewan, go to all the other rooms. It's amazing. Everybody's so friendly. I love it. And Hamilton should put on a great, they'll put on a great show, right? Obviously they're not in it. Very rarely is the host team in it. You don't have to be in it to have fun. Like Montreal fans will travel pretty well there. You know, the bomber fans are going to travel well. So I'm thinking it should be pretty good. Cons, have you ever been to the Spirit of Edmonton room outside of Edmonton? Not outside of Edmonton. No, I think I actually have a picture with Daryl as well on one of my older phones from uh, the last Great Cup here in town. But it was a good time. It is a lot of fun. And like you said, you can just go around and do those sorts of things. But yeah, out of, out of town Great Cup, definitely on the bucket list at some point here. You have to. I've been uh, in BC, Calgary, Regina, Toronto. I think the only one I haven't been to is Hamilton because I was in Ottawa too. Montreal. That was my first Grey Cup. That was unreal. Um, I think the only city I haven't been to for a Grey Cup is Hamilton. So I would, uh, I'd like to go, but it's, it's a great time, man. It is a great, and you know what? Uh, El- maybe the Elks at some point in the future, they'll, they'll have a chance where you think they can get back to it. Um, we haven't talked a lot about the Elks once the season's over in the CFL. Because that's when the decisions are going to be made. I'm very curious to see what decisions are the Elks going to make, baby. What decision? So, hey, Greg's the boys just wanted to see you grow hair. Watch them go on a heater from buck seventy five. Oh, God. Th- you know that would be a good prank, though, if if I if I could believe it, but. Uh, losing to San Jose, no, that was that was bottom of the barrel for more reasons than me having to grow hair. But uh, although that's pretty bottom for me, I'll tell you that right now. If they get on a heater, are you fully expecting the chirps to come from them when you walk in the room? Um, because they are the cause of this. It, no, this I, is their doing. I don't. I don't see like what chirp they say. We lost on purpose. See, and it can't because it basically got your coach fired. Mostly just about your. The look you'll have going on. Yeah, well, I'll be wearing a toque, dude. Okay, you're good then. Right? There'll be a toque, and there'll be there'll be very few toqueless and hatless <laughs> days. This is like the last week because you know it's you know the first few days it's like I've gone six days before I shave my head. That's not a big deal. But basically, after Wednesday, that'll be the longest in I don't know twenty some years that I haven't shaved my head. Like it'll be the worst. I just ugh, just even thought of it makes me want to gag. So. But it will be cool, so you'll have the toque excuse, and you're you're good to go. Yeah. Good thing it's not the summer. Well, I wear toques a lot, so that's all right. Yeah. Hey, guys, I remember a few years ago, Vetchkin was in his prime. Went a while without goals. Everyone started asking him, and all of a sudden he popped in. Then he came in the room and said no comment. Walked away with a smile. Where's that attitude from the older stars? Um, well, everybody has a different personality. Right. Ovi is, is a little bit more of a fun loving guy. You can't ask someone to be funny and witty because some other superstar is funny and witty. It's just, it's not how it works. I ask any parent, you can have two or three children 
and one of them's quiet and the other one's loud. You can't ask the loud one to suddenly be quiet. You can't ask the quiet one to suddenly be loud. It's kind of who they are, right? Like McDavid, I don't think is ever going to have Ovechkin's personality and that's fine, right? I, I think that he's just naturally a bit more reserved than Ovechkin is. Not better, not worse, just different. So, but yeah, Ovi was, he was never, uh, he was never afraid to say things. And, uh, and neither is, um, and neither is, uh, um, you know, McDavid, he'll stand. He's just not, you're not going to get McDavid to be up there and having a lot of laughs and jokes very often, right? Now, maybe if he wins, that would change it. But Ovi was fairly jovial beforehand. I did notice after he won, there was some release there for sure. And I think McDavid probably feels the same way. No question. I think you can, Maybe you can exhale a little bit more. But, hey, Jonathan Taves won lots. And what was his nickname? Captain Serious. So <laughs> you kind of are who you are. You can't, uh, you can't ask people to change their personalities just because they're in the public eye. I don't think that uh, that's ever going to work. Hey, Gregor, what do you think of the line changes? And how long do you think they last from Frank? Well, I'm only going to base it on what Chris Knobloch said yesterday. He talked a lot about... Not even talking lines, just said the one thing in his experience he finds players like consistency. So that's consistency as a coach in your messaging, right? Consistency in what your expectations are. And probably consistency in in who your line mates are. Now that can't be guaranteed, right? As as he himself said, McDavid and Drysaddle, you know what? If we get a lot of power plays, they're going to play together. You know what? Uh, shifts together maybe in the last minute of a game. Maybe if they're playing great, they might get more minutes. So that's going to happen. But he did say he feels they're better as a team on separate lines. And I would agree. I think most would. It's You can have a mismatch. If the other team's one line matches up well, then the other guy should have a better matchup. There's very few teams that you can look and say, okay, we can match up with them. There's a few, but not many. So I think it would be foolish for the head coach to come in. Now, Sam Gagne is going to start on the line with McDavid, but I think he's kind of a placeholder for Connor Brown, who uh, skated today, and I think Connor Brown is likely, if he doesn't return Wednesday, he's definitely returning Saturday in Tampa Bay, but I think you might see him on Wednesday. So uh, he, he's, he went through the paces after practice and looked quite good. So, um, you know, we'll see where he's at on that one. But obviously, think about it, they play Wednesday, then they don't play again until Saturday. That's an extra, you know, three days so they might just be cautious, and maybe he's not there until Saturday. But I, I don't see Sam Gagne being long-term on the top six. I just don't see that. So that's the one change. I think we'll see. Uh, Andy Petrillo will join us uh, when we return. Uh, also, we got the uh, Con Man and Sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. Stop in right now. The Road Ready Sale event is on as you can get select tires up to $225 off. Also, a bonus $50 off when you book any service. Book yours today up until December 16th at FountainTire.com. Some restrictions apply.